0: So good to be with you this morning. I got a little bit of a man cold. Yeah, toward the end of the week, yeah, man cold. If you Ask your husband, he'll tell you what that is. Um, Amy said to me right before I get ready for the first service, she said, like, how are you feeling about preaching? I said, well, I don't feel very good, but I'm, I'm excited to preach today, but I'm, I don't feel very good. She goes, well... If you can't get through the message, just tell people to be good disciples of Christ. Invite them to the community table and make it. You know, she's very efficient. She's just like, cut out your examples. Just get to the get to the point. You know, so I was like, all right, we'll we'll probably do some of that. Uh, today, we're going to look for, uh, get ready for the communion uh, table. And so, we would invite anybody that is a follower of Christ here today. Uh, look forward to celebrating the finished work of Jesus with you. That is a wonderful joy that we have. It's a monthly celebration in our tradition that we do that is a celebration of a daily reality, and that is the finished work of Jesus. And so, as we get our hearts ready for that, um, I want to begin with a question. Uh, as we get ready to look at Matthew 16. That's going to be our primary passage today. If you have your Bibles, so you can flip over to Matthew 16. The question that I would ask you is this. Uh, what is it that you do? That's the kind of thing that we often say, I'm say to someone when we're getting to know them. You know, what, is it, what, what do you do? You know, maybe you're a student, maybe you work in a certain field or whatever. And as people answer that, we sort of draw conclusions based on what we think that means. So if somebody says, I'm a painter... Uh, you would assume they do something with paint. Maybe they paint pictures, maybe they paint houses, but you assume that they would do something with paint. Someone, uh, and, and we probably have people here who are in the accounting field. Are you an account accountant here, anybody? The the number ninjas are among us, good. If, if somebody tells you that they do accounting, you assume that they do some kind of financial bookkeeping and keeping those things in line. I heard somebody say the other day that they, uh, what they do is that they are a chief canine herder. And I was like, A dog walker? Like, yes, a dog walker. Okay, that that makes sense. Some fields or organizations get a little bit more complex, and so you may have to ask more questions. If somebody says they're a doctor, that could mean a lot of things, but it's all probably within that realm of the Hippocratic Oath that they're treating sick patients in some way. If someone is a police officer, they might do a variety of different tasks, but it would boil down to protecting and serving the public in some way. Uh, I, I was told that administrative assistants, anybody administrative assistants, that the technical term is randomness manager. So if you're working in that field, yeah, we'll figure that, you can figure that out. Um, <clears throat> engineer, that gets even a little more complicated because you could talk to someone who is a civil engineer or an architectural engineer or a chemical engineer, me- mechanical engineer, environmental engineer, or it could be when I was when I was a child, I wanted to be an engineer, meaning I wanted to drive trains. You know, So if that's you, then that could be, but a few more questions to try to figure out what do we actually mean by that. Uh, more complex still, if you look at certain organizations, if somebody says, "I'm in government," well, that could mean a lot of different things. Why both services, when I said that, people were like, Ugh. <laughs> like <laughs> I wasn't meaning it in a bad way. Government is a good thing, uh, but it's a complex one, and it would and, and you could do a variety of different things if you, were in, if you would say, "Well, I'm in government." And then we come to sort of the point of where we're going to go today, which is when somebody says well, I'm involved in the church. Well, what does the church do? That's a good question. And I wonder if we have clarity around sort of the defined sense of calling that might even help us to understand why are we doing this? You know, you all got out of bed this morning. You got dressed up. You look nice. You know, whatever. You came and you sang songs. You sound great. I was actually because I can't sing as well today. I was just kind of enjoying uh, listening to the the body of Christ sing. That was that was a real blessing actually today. Real blessing to hear your worship. Um, But why do we do what we do? Do we have clarity around this sense of calling? So that's the question I want to leave you with as we begin and get our hearts ready. You know that if we've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series called Reset, getting ready for the year ahead. And last week, very intentionally, we finished in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Meredith mentioned this here in the worship time before. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And so what I'd like to do today is talk with you uh, using the, the passages from the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus' definition of like what does it actually mean for us to be his disciple. Because I think if we were to boil it, boil it down scripturally, what we find in all of the activity of what the church does and all the different things when we're feeding starving children or we're doing mission trips or we're singing songs or we're having gatherings like this, at the end of it all, there is a goal, and that is, according to Jesus, to become more like him in the things that we do, in the way that we think, in the way that we react, to, to live like Christ, to be with Christ, to become like Christ, and essentially to do the things that Christ did. So with that idea in mind, this idea of discipleship, I want you to read with me in Matthew 16. We'll pick up in verse 13 today, and uh, I'm going to read you two sections from Matthew 16. I'll paraphrase a little bit in the middle. So verse 13 and following says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself. And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Verse 15. He asked, Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Um, I'm gonna pause on that for a second and simply say, Jesus liked that answer, okay? He commended Peter. Peter didn't always get things right, but he was you know, ready to, to give an answer, and he stepped, he said, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, when he heard this, not only did he say, good answer, and yeah, that's right, but he, he said, this was not revealed to you by human thinking. This was revealed to you divinely. This is a big deal that you understood this. So Peter's feeling really good. You know, that's good commendation that he gets. Uh, immediately after, Peter is like, hey, since we're now on good terms, give you, <laughs> let me give you some advice. And he says to Jesus, don't, don't go into Jerusalem because they're waiting to kill you there. And now Jesus, after commending him, gives him a very strong rebuke. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not thinking about the things of God, but you're thinking about the things of man. So poor Peter, he's like, he's up, and then he's down. He's learning. It says in verse 24, we're going to pick up there again. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. God, I bless you to the reading of His Word this morning. Listen, friends, that that is a very full passage. There is a whole lot of stuff there. We're going to try to do our best to get into it and unpack some things as we get our hearts ready for the communion table. But what I want you to see here, if we're talking about the idea of discipleship, there is something deeply personal that Jesus calls us to in this understanding of what it means to follow him. Here's what I'm going to do. I want you to ask you to, to do a little favor for me. In the month of February, we are going to stay in this theme of discipleship for the whole month. And we have a little thing on the screen here for you. Today, we're gonna talk about the personal nature of discipleship. Next week, I wanna talk to you about the relational nature of discipleship, the fact that we are learning from one another, we sharpen one another. We'll touch on that a little bit today, but primarily, that's gonna be next week. The third week, I wanna talk about the transformational nature of discipleship. In other words, if your discipleship is not changing you at a deep level, If you are not growing, if you are not being transformed, the Bible talks about it from glory to glory, then we should take a minute to step back and say, are we actually engaging in discipleship as Jesus would want us to? And then the fourth one is that it's missional, that that we're not changed simply to be different and to be better or to feel good about ourselves in that way, but we're actually called then to join Christ on his mission, which many of you are in the process of doing in a variety of different ways. So Matthew 16, Jesus talks about this idea, whoever wants to be my disciple. The word is mathetes, And it shows up a bunch of times all through Scripture. Once you start looking for it, you can't miss it. Uh, This Greek word, mathetes, disciple or disciples is the way it's translated. And a disciple can be anybody that's a learner or a pupil, anybody that's kind of sitting under somebody else's teaching, uh, one who follows that teaching specifically with Jesus. In a wide sense in the Gospels, it's referring to those Jews who favored him and who joined his party, who became his adherents especially referring to the 12 apostles. But when we get into the book of Acts, it's actually referred to anybody who confesses Jesus as Messiah. So anybody that is a Christian is part of this mathetes, part of this discipleship body. So if you today claim the name of Christ and you're walking with Jesus, you are part of this discipleship thing. If you are part of the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, the ones that bear his name, you are part of this body as well. So here's what I want to do as we think about this, again, all in this realm of how Jesus makes discipleship very personal. And I think it's intentional that he does that. The first thing I want to do is simply talk about identifying the target, so again, this idea, what are we actually shooting for? Let's start with that, identifying the target. So we said before, we don't always have a strong sense of why we exist as a church. Uh, I, I suspect that if you were to ask 100 people who go to church, why is it that you go to church? What, what is the church all about? You would probably get a huge variety of different answers. We don't always have a strong sense of why we exist and what we are doing. Uh, We all bring a certain history, a certain preference, a certain style, and bias into the equation. In some ways, this is actually very good. It's good in that it gives us a diversity of thought. It gives us ironing, iron sharpening iron. It gives us different gifts, but all within the same body. Those are all good things. Uh, The bad is that that same diversity can add to a lack of clarity on why we exist and what we're doing. So again, you could ask 100 people in this room, and you might get a variety of different questions. So some people would say, I go to church for good preaching. I go to church for fellowship. I go to church because it makes me feel better about myself. I I go to church because I enjoy singing. I go to church because I want to learn and I want to grow. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but they must be seen through the lens of discipleship. Do we know why we're here That's the question. So a few years ago, I was um, going to Best Buy, hanging out with the guys who know how to get stuff done at Best Buy. So I needed something. I forget what I needed, but I go into Best Buy. And um, I was walking in, and there's a guy who's kind of—they have this kind of interesting thing. There's a guy that's, like, stationed right at the door. And this guy was really busy doing something. He's like typing and looking and doing, you know, so he was like, he was in whatever he was supposed to be doing for people that are coming in. He was just focused on something else, whatever. I didn't care. Uh, so I, I walk in. And then I see two employees that are standing. There's a guy and a girl, and they are in serious flirt mode. So they are flirting with each other, and they're just, they're just enthralled with one another. So I walk in and whatever. They, they were of no help to me. That's okay. I didn't, I didn't need help. So I walked in, and I got the thing that I needed to get. And I went and I checked out. And I go back out and I notice that the two flirters were still flirting. And I just thought it was sort of funny. So they, they, like, they're totally oblivious to me even being there. And then I walk out and the guy that's kind of stationed at the door, maybe he's making sure people aren't stealing things or maybe he's greeting, I don't know. But he's, he's completely enthralled in what he's doing still. And so I'm just kind of noting this. I walk out and I set off the alarm. The little, like something must have not have been like deactivated in the thing that I was buying. And so I turn around sort of quickly And nobody cared. Like, the flirting people are still flirting. The busy guy is still busy. And the alarm is going off. It's loud. I thought I was going to get, like, swarmed and tackled and everything like that. So finally, I was like, hey, I I think I set off your alarm. And the busy guy looked up, and he goes, that's fine. (laughs) And I just had to wonder myself, like, to myself, like, Does anybody have a sense of what they're doing here? Like, I mean, maybe you're supposed to be greeting, maybe you're supposed to be helping, maybe you're supposed to at least make sure that I'm not walking out with huge uh, amounts of unpaid-for merchandise, you know, having some kind of loyalty to the company or whatever, but that seemed like an interesting thing to have they identified the target of why they're here and what they're doing. It seems, as you read through Scripture, that the biblical target of what we are doing is discipleship. When you hear things like Matthew 16, as we read today, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, and then he says specifically must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The great commission in Matthew 28, all authority is given to me. Jesus says, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. And it's interesting what he didn't say. He didn't say go and make buildings. And he didn't say go and make gatherings of people and he didn't say go and sing beautiful music all of these things are good things but what he said at the core was go and make disciples so now if we identify that as a target we could see that the church is this ecclesia that is the called out ones who are moving by the in the reality that the brokenness of the world is met in the finished work of jesus and the brokenness of the world is actually reflected in my own brokenness. And so it becomes very personal when we say we are disciples of Christ. Now, if we identify that as a target to shoot for, and I think that's helpful for us at the very least, then we've got to define some terms. So Jesus says to his disciples, verse 24, Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple, he must dis- deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So Jesus' definition is pretty clear, and if you were to write it down, it would probably look something like this on the screen. We can put that next uh, slide up. Then we're talking about self-denial. We're talking about cross-bearing. We're talking about Jesus following. And the reason this is helpful is that if these things are not true of you, then you sh- it should cause you to reflect on whether or not you are actually living out discipleship in Christ. When we say that uh, denial of self, this notion that it's not about me, and that is perhaps the most antithetical reality for our old natures to process, because you were born as the center of your own universe, and so was I. You have to learn over time that the world does not actually revolve around you, and that's actually good parenting when it's done in love. So, a friend of mine actually notes it's probably a good thing that babies and toddlers are not as strong as adults because, in his words, they would kill us all. <laughs> because, they, they, in some ways, they, they are little egotistical tyrants. That's how we are born in our old nature. And so over time, we actually learn that life goes better and the world works better when we don't keep ourselves at the center. And Jesus actually says, denial of self is actually a hallmark of what it means to follow him. So we learn to say, okay, I'm I'm dying to self on a regular basis. When he says, take up your cross, I think there's sort of two ways to look at this. One is simply that there is a willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ, and we don't always understand this very well, primarily because most of us have not endured actual persecution. We've had to deal with maybe social social rejection or even families that don't get why we're committed to Jesus. But the true mark of discipleship is a willingness literally to suffer anything that he would ask us to suffer. So he says, "I want you to take up your cross." That's a hallmark of, Discipleship. The reason a lot of times we don't get it is because we haven't maybe suffered greatly in our first world level of problems. Now, I can whine with the best of them about the things that I've gone through, and I didn't feel very well this week, and so I didn't really want to get up and preach this morning. And everything. But like, I was thinking about this last night, as I was looking over my notes. I was like, yeah, that's not exactly suffering for Jesus. I mean, this is not persecution. It's an annoyance. Sometimes people are annoying. Right? Sometimes <laughs> you don't have to laugh about it. It's just true. Right? It's just true. Sometimes you get annoyed by people. Sometimes you, you get frustrated with those things. That's not persecution, though. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we have a little bit of a hard time understanding this, but the hallmark is this to say, I will suffer whatever Christ asks me to suffer. We ought to think about that. I mean, that's like a that's a that's a deep thought. Are you willing to go there? And then we got to catch ourselves, too, because poor Peter, he was so quick to be like, if anybody, they're all going to turn away, but I'm never going to turn away. I mean, you remember the story with Jesus, and he's just like, Peter, I love you, but you're going to deny me three times before this is all over. Jesus is actually very patient as he teaches us this. But this is a hallmark of discipleship. We deny self. We take up our cross. Uh, I think another way that we could look at the taking up of our cross that is helpful is, is that we, we no longer rely on ourself. So we look to Christ and what he has done in taking up his cross, and we say it is his righteousness imputed to us. It is him as the source and his finished work as the source that we run to. So yeah, we pick up our cross, and maybe we even suffer for the cause of Christ, but we're doing it in the wake of the one who has suffered ultimately and paid ultimately the price that we can never pay. So that's important for us as well. I talked to a young man this week, just this week. I love God's stories, and you know, we've been praying just to see more people make commitments to Christ and make a step of faith and everything. So I met a young man this week. I don't even really know him. He might be here today. I don't know. I won't mention his name. But he just came in and said, hey, I just wanted to talk to somebody. I, you know, I've, I've recently given my heart to the Lord. And uh, we just had this beautiful kind of he's sharing his testimony with me. But essentially it came down to this, coming through the mess of his own life. And that's kind of how we get to the place of carrying our own cross is that we see the mess in our own life and then it pushes us to the finished work of Jesus. So he's not relying on his best effort anymore, right? And so here's this young, youngish guy and he's he's sitting here, he's telling me this story and, and it's just a beautiful thing and he's no longer relying on his track record but he's saying, I'm gonna pick up my cross and I'm gonna do what Christ asked me to do. He's a disciple of Christ, amen. Um, I wanna mention this to you because I think this is important, especially for my older brothers and sisters that are here. Um, I'm getting closer to 50, so I'm not young. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. But some of you guys are older than me. And one of the things that I notice as we get older, it's very easy for us to think about the idea of discipleship. We deny ourselves. we take up our cross, we follow Jesus, suffer what he wants me to suffer, pursue him, all of those things. It's very easy to think of that all in the past tense, Right? that we think like well all of those all of that work that Christ was doing was 30 years ago 20 years ago 60 years ago right and so the the challenge is for us to think even as we get older to stay fresh in that space of denying ourselves and picking up our cross and staying close and in line with Jesus so i think that's an important thing for us it's important And it's not moderately important. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So a disciple of Christ says, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to take on my cross, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to stay in connection with him. This is very good news. Because even though it's very hard to follow Christ because we have to die to our old nature, the promises look like this. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me all you are weary and burdened. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the last thing I want to see. So we, we're sort of identifying the target, and then we we define the terms. This last point is simply this. We're going to do it sort of quickly. That Jesus makes it personal. And the reason that this is so critically important is that, okay, so, so the reason I say he makes it personal is that he asks his disciples, so who do the people say that I am? And they're sort of, well, some people, I heard this. Well, some people, they think you're John the Baptist or Elijah or another prophet or whatever. And then to his disciples who have been walking with him, he says, now who do you say that I am? If we are going to wrestle with this question of discipleship, it's got to start with a personal response that Jesus would actually say to every one of you, it's a big sort of crowd of people in here, but he sees through the crowd, right? He knows your heart. He knows where you are, and he asks you the question, who do you say that I am? We all gotta wrestle with that, and here's why I have an obligation to you as your pastor, because you're gonna stand before God in judgment someday. I'm gonna stand before God in judgment someday, and he's gonna say, who did you say that I am? Now all of a sudden it's very personal. Now it's this, do you remember how Jesus told these parables about like the separation of the, the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares? And it's all the same theme. He says that like mixed in with people who are legitimate disciples who are denying themselves and picking up their cross and following him and following on the finished work of Jesus, there are others who are there for other reasons. And there will be this kind of separating out so that now I've got to give an individual account I can't just go with the group. It's an individual thing. Who do you say that I am? I've been wrestling with this issue of purpose for a few years now. Maybe some of the results were sort of us coming out of COVID and seeing how challenging that was for so many congregations and ours in some ways. Maybe it's watching people wrestle with change. Maybe it's thinking through things like our methods and our mission but this question of a personal start for discipleship. And I'm not the only person who's wrestling with this. I've talked to pastor after pastor, elders, and other leaders, our district leadership, who's been leaning into this question of what is essential for the church? And they said, essentially, we need to be about discipleship. And so this theme has been moving. I think it's a Holy Spirit move of God at this time that we would be grounded in the place of understanding discipleship. That it's personal. Next week, we're going to talk about how it's relational, how we work together and sharpen each other. Uh, the following week, how it's transformational. And as I said before, like, if your path of discipleship isn't changing you deeply, you're not being transformed in any way. You're not growing in any way. We've got to take a look at that. And then putting us on mission. A friend of mine at York Alliance Church, his name is Brian Cannell, uh, he said, you know, what we say at our church is simply this, that as disciples of Christ, we, are, we will be with Jesus, we are becoming like Jesus, and we are doing what Jesus does. That's it. But that's got to come to an individual and personal place. The point of decision will become very personal because one day you will stand before Jesus. A dear friend of ours at the church who passed away, we're going to be celebrating her life tomorrow morning, uh, Jane Crandall. You know, she got the welcome home. I'm certain of that. She just loved Jesus. She was dying to self and taking up her cross, and she was following Jesus for years and years and years, and so she got to stand before Jesus and have him welcome her home. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's essentially what we live for as a disciple of Christ. The horrible alternate reality is to stand before him and to have him say, I never knew you. So discipleship has to be personal. It has to be personal. What does that mean? I think for some of us that means that there is, a, there is a big yes that we need to say. There's a point of decision that we have to come to. And many of you have done this, but you know what? It's time to, time to do this if you never have. Yes to Jesus. Yes, I will be a disciple of Christ on a personal level. That means I'm not living out my parents' faith. Okay, some of you are here, young people, you live in, you know, you've been essentially under the umbrella of your parents' faith. That's a beautiful thing. You're learning from your parents' faith. You're learning probably some positive and negative examples, but you're, you're under that umbrella of their faith. At some point, it has, to got, it has to become personal to you. Guys, let me throw this one at you. I'm not living out my wife's faith a lot of us as guys, you know, we we say, well, you know, my wife, she does the prayer thing and she does the Jesus thing and I kind of, whatever, I'm kind of along for the ride. Jesus says, no, I want you to be a disciple. I want you to step up as a man of God, okay? Wives, you're not living out your husband's faith, same thing. I'm not living out my friend's faith. I'm actually coming to the place of hearing the call of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm turning in my life to Jesus, I'm pouring it out, for him, I will say yes to being his disciple. And the way we're going to celebrate that is to simply come to the communion table. Yeah, just receive. Say, Lord, that's the commitment that I'm making for you today. Um, the team can come on up. That's going to lead us uh, in worship, and uh, we'll get our hearts ready for the communion table. Let me give you just one last quick example. I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, I was on a bike ride with my family. And um, my dad took us to this place where there was a well, like the old pumping well, you know? And I never had seen this before. I remember as a kid being sort of intrigued by this. And by the well, he's sort of digging around. He said, it's probably around here somewhere. And he pulls out a bottle that has water in it that someone had left behind. And he said, you can crank on that pump all you want and nothing's gonna come out until you prime it, right? Right? Now, you didn't have to grow up in the uh, like little house on the prairie days, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, right, you got to prime the pump. So <laughs> these guys are all young over here. They're like, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There's no app for this. This is. So you, you have to take the water that is there. You got this water in hand, and, and you, you dump it down the well, and then you pump like crazy and there's a thing in there that has to absorb that water, and then all of a sudden the suction will happen and the, and the pumping mechanism will actually work. But it's, it's such a beautiful example because the, the, the fact of the matter is you don't really want that water anyway. It's like the old stale water that's been sitting around. But you pour out the old stale water, and all of a sudden you've got now the abundance of the fresh and the clean and the, and the good water from down in that, in that rich place. And that, that example to me has always been such a beautiful one of like, that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I want you to be my disciple. It will cost you everything. You're going to pour out your life for the sake of the gospel. It, it can affect the direction of your career. It can affect the direction of your friend." Uh, circle. It, can, it, it can affect the habits that you pursue and the ones that you don't. Like all of these things, it's, it's so deeply personal to say yes to Jesus. And yet there are literally hundreds of people, many of them in this very room, that would say, yeah, I know what it was like to pour out the old stale water of my life and to find the abundant and rich and, and, and life-giving water of Christ. I wonder if today, as you come to the communion table, you would come and say, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to Jesus, and I will be his disciple. Many of you are already walking with the Lord. Say it again. I say it all the time. Lord, teach me again. Take me deeper. Teach me to deny myself. Teach me to pick up my cross. Teach me to follow you. Father, we're grateful today for your goodness to us We want to take some time right now to reflect on all that you have done. When you say to pick up our cross, we know that you are the one who first took your cross. And when we celebrate communion today, we are remembering the broken body, the the shed blood, the, the violent act of your grace. That there on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So that then as we come, acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging our sin, acknowledging all the places that we've fallen short. And Lord, you've, you know, there's, there's many. That the benefit of coming in as a disciple of Christ is that we say that all of this has been paid. All of this has been cared for. All of the business is done. Jesus literally on the cross said it is finished. The masterpiece of his work of grace was done at the cross. So Lord, I pray that as deep calls to deep, your Holy Spirit would call to our spirits and that we would even cut through the crowd mentality today and that we would hear your voice saying to our hearts individually, So who do you say that I am? And let discipleship start at a personal level. I don't think it can start any other way, frankly. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are my Savior. You make it personal. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this body this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes so we make a proclamation when you are ready Spend a little time with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit examine your own heart. Maybe there's some business that you need to do. Maybe today's the day you say, about bow my knee to the Lordship of Christ. I'm saying yes to being his disciple. Maybe you're simply reaffirming that today. Bring that to the communion table in your commitment time. Receive the bread, receive the cup. We have sort of two methods to do that here. You can do the ripping of the bread and the dipping it in the cup, or you can take the two stacked cups if you want something that's a little less hands-on. If you need gluten-free, we have gluten-free option all the way over here on my left, your right, uh, if you need to take advantage of that. Uh, This is your time to spend with the Lord as the worship team leads us in a song. When you're ready, we'll meet you at the table. God bless you.